The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest for this first half hour is Michael Burley. He's the president of Peak Capital Management and an advisory academy board member. Welcome to the show, Mike. Thank you. Let's just start with a little bit of your background uh, professionally and uh, what is, is it that you do in your style at Peak Capital Management? Well, we're a registered investment advisory firm. Uh, we're an independent firm. Uh, we work with investors who are near or in retirement. Uh, maybe it's a little different than a lot of other advisors in that we, we specialize in kind of everything other than common stock and mutual funds, uh, more the world of income-generating strategies. Okay. And tell me a little bit about your background. And you, I assume you created uh, Peak Capital Manager, is that right? Yes. So uh, your background in, before you created uh, Peak? Financial services industry going back to uh, 1986. Okay, working at various brokerage firms. So tell me a little bit more. Uh, about I started it. out in the insurance end of the business. Uh, the company called Bankers Life out of Chicago, Illinois. Uh, we opened our own uh, business in 1989 under Burley and Associates. Uh, kind of gravitated more to the uh, securities end of the business rather than the uh, total insurance, property, and casualty license. We did the whole, you know, the whole realm of insurance and financial planning. So and why do you think there's a need specifically for the kind of money management you're doing here compared to what a lot of other money managers are offering these days? Well, I think the distinction is, you know, we're more uh, driven for uh, purpose than performance-driven. In other words, we specialize more in income-generating strategies than performance-driven strategies. Uh, most of the people that we work with, the investors, are, are you know within that five-year window of retirement. So they're looking on how to take these 401ks and IRAs type of plans and how, how do they convert that growth strategy into something tangible they can use in their life as income. So the big problem people today have is if they keep their money safe in CDs and money market funds and treasury bills, they're pretty much going to earn zero, and it seems that it's going to be that way for a long time. So how do you... Uh, kind of tell people psychologically they're going to have to take some more risk if they're going to earn some decent income. Well, they will have to take a little bit more risk. You know, uh, we we don't want to push them too far up the risk curve. And in, in my world, it's not so much market risk as, as credit risk. Uh, you know, I still feel there's a, a middle ground there where you can get a, a decent interest or dividend payment uh, in investment-grade products. Uh Without taking a whole lot of credit risk. So the Federal Reserve's policy is to push people out to make them take more risk, because if they take no risk, they're going to basically get no return today. Do you think that's a policy that's going to continue for a long time, and has it worked in getting people to take more risk and therefore get more money flowing into the economy? Well, I I think it has. uh, You know, QE, they're they're tapering off on QE now, uh, but it has definitely pushed more people up the risk curve. 
I mean, they've cut back from $85 billion to $45 billion. Now they're, they should be pretty much out of it in the next couple months. At some point, you know, I think interest rates will start to creep up a little bit, but I don't expect them to be creeping up very quickly. So I guess you break the income strategies into uh, fixed income and stocks. Is that right? You have a little bit of each? A little bit each. And we kind of look at, uh, rather than common, maybe we look at preferred issues. In other words, we're looking for that, you know, that dividend uh, a little bit more than capital appreciation. You know, uh, on commons, you know, maybe you can get 2% on average and preferreds. You know, the dividends range anywhere from 5 to 7 depending on the credit risk. So it sounds like you're taking some interest rate risk, though. I mean, if you go to preferreds or other kind of bond surrogates, interest-sensitive stocks, if interest rates were to go up dramatically, those could get hurt on the capital side. Well, you know, and, and that's true. You know, on the preferreds, we have a little uh, little risk on the preferreds, but we stay with the investment-grade preferreds. I'm not buying anything outside of investment-grades or certain criteria that we follow. Uh, Maybe we're looking at 10% of the preferred market. I see. So the, the kind of people that you are dealing with, um, what is the kind of goal that you typically have for them as far as what is a realistic expectation of the kind of yield they're going to earn of all your strategies combined uh, once they get to retirement? Well, rule of thumb today, what we use is about a 4% burn rate or withdrawal rate on your account. Uh, if you try to pull more than 4% out today, uh, you know, there's a 50% chance that if it's a married couple, that one individual may live over 92, and there's a chance you could run out of money. So we try to keep our withdrawals at least initially going in when somebody's, say, in their early 60s to 65 to that 4% withdrawal rate. Now, as people get a little older, uh, they can actually take a little more risk, which is kind of counterintuitive because life expectancies are shorter. You can increase that uh, rate of withdrawal as they get into their 70s. Mm-hmm. But as far as, so you're aiming to withdraw 4% a year once they hit retirement. So how much are you expecting to yield? You're expecting to yield more than 4% if they're going to be taking out 4% a year. Is that right? Right. We're, we're, we're shooting for roughly between 5 5 and a quarter. Uh-huh. Again, without jumping on too much credit risk there for the client. And that's an individual thing. Some are willing to take a little more risk on that side. Some aren't. So let's talk about credit risk a little bit. I mean, the, uh, the low-quality um, kind of junk bonds and things like that have come down dramatically in yield. Um, and it's the spread between high and low-quality is almost at its lowest point ever. Uh, wh- why do you think it's not worth it to move out the credit quality and, and go for lower quality to get higher yields in this kind of environment? Well, I just, most of the clients we work with are just not comfortable with that risk. They would rather stay, and we're looking at more type of uh, investments that they can hold to maturity, more on an individual rather than a bond type fund. Uh, you know, if, if interest rates do spike up at some point, that bond fund, or if it's a high-yield bond fund, it's going to take a pretty good hit. Whereas in if you have individual laddered bonds, yeah, you may take a, you know, a paper loss, but if you have the ability to hold the bond to maturity, you will get your principal back, assuming no defaults. Right. So um, what is the typical size of the portfolio that you're managing these days? Uh, our average client portfolio and individual investment is probably... 
I'd say five, six, seven hundred thousand. You know, just your average uh, working person, come from all different backgrounds in life. Some have pensions, some have the defined contributions, some have defined benefit plans, some have IRAs, some are small business owners, a little bit of everything. Yeah. So if they're earning, uh, their capital is five or 600000 and you're saying they're going to get a 5 to 5.5% yield, is that typically enough for them to live on a decent lifestyle in retirement? Uh, well, uh, it, there's a couple of variables in there. One is their Social Security and when, when they decide to turn that on and, and apply for benefits. Uh, we're, we're finding that most people are actually working a little later. We're not finding as many turning it on as 62 as maybe wait, waiting until full retirement age at 66, 67. Uh, Social Security does have that 8% roll-up, you know, when you delay turning on your benefits. So that's appealing to some, you know, who may continue to work. Uh, if they have other sources of income through maybe a, a, a pension plan, you know, they can delay that even longer. So Let's just talk about Social Security pack. for a second. Is it a good idea um, to wait to full retirement age of 66 or go to 70? If, if people have the flexibility, when is the best time to take Social Security these days? Well, I, I guess the, the key question there, Jordan, is if they have the flexibility. If they have the flexibility and they can, uh, you know, if they have a pension and other assets, you know, it may not hurt to let that roll up to age 70. I mean, it's a guaranteed 8% roll up from age 66 to 70 for most baby boomers. Uh, I don't know where you can get a guaranteed 8% roll-up on your money for the next four or five, six years. Meaning each year that you wait, you're going to get an additional 8% for lifetime is what you're saying Correct. by roll-up. Yes. Yes. So a lot of people, lot people don't realize people that. A lot of people that, are taking their Social Security at age 62 these days. And uh, Well, you know, you're taking a 25% haircut taking that early. I mean, some people have no other choice, but, you know, if you if ideally... You know, the break-even point's roughly 78 years. So if you take it at 62, yeah, you're going to get a smaller check for a longer period of time. If you wait till say, 70, you're going, to, you're going to create a lot more income in your life from 70 to end of life. Do you have any concern about the uh, financial viability of Social Security for people who are pre-retirement now? Do you think they're always going to get it, or, or will there be haircuts on Social Security? Well, if there are no changes made, there will be haircuts at some point down the road. I think we're good for another... 15, 18 years or so, and then the, I think it drops to about 75%. Of so what will that, would that be done through a means uh, test, or how would that be done? Well, uh, you know, they're looking at a few different things, raising the, uh, the age in which you can collect, the means test. Uh, right now it's capped, I think, at 116. After that, you don't pay into the system anymore, you know, raising that up. So for higher income earners, they'll still pay into the system. So they're looking at a few different things. Uh, you know, it's just as, when do they have the, the courage to make these changes? You know, it's a, it's a if, hot If button. you were running the situation, what would you recommend that we do now so we don't have a crisis in 15 years? I think we'd have to do a little bit of all three of those strategies. I think we may have to, you know, 70 might be the new 66 for our kids. Uh, the cap where, uh, you know, I would definitely look at raising the cap on that. So uh, higher income earners are still paying into the system. And a means uh, test, do you think that's a good idea, too? Yeah, I, I actually do. You know, uh, you know. Look, if you've got, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars of income coming in, yeah, I, I think it would be a good idea. I don't know where I'd set it at this point, but I, I don't think it would hurt. Uh, so ultimately, something has to get done. They just can't keep going the way it is now with the baby boomers retiring, right? No, 
No, absolutely. You know, the sooner they address this, I think, the better off. I mean, currently the system's okay, but it's, it's going to, you know, the problem is it's going to run in deficits. And, you know, 10, 15 years from now, you're going to have two people paying into the system for every one taken out, as opposed to when there were, you know, four or five paying in for everyone withdrawing money out. You know, when this system was enacted, you know, the life expectancy, what was it, 65? Yeah. You know, they didn't figure people were going to be collecting for 20 years. Right. <laughs> so that's what's been happening. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest for this half hour is Mike Burley. He's the president of Peak Capital Management. And we'll be back after this. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CIO Talk Radio, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experiences with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive. This means better care for customers and improves the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. Inside Healthcare is the only radio program focused solely on the healthcare industry. We bring together new and experienced entrepreneurs and industry veterans from throughout the country who are changing the dynamic on how healthcare is delivered today. Join us as we ask the tough questions, explore current topics, and discuss the new partners and models in healthcare that successfully address the needs of population health across the country. Listen Mondays at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and Saturdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. What does a visual workplace mean to you? How does it contribute to operational excellence? And what steps do you take to put it powerfully in place? Listen to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense to find out. Each week, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, shares tools and strategies to help you make the workplace speak at a glance without saying a word. Learn to work safer, faster, better, and at far less cost no matter what business you're in. Tune in to The Visual Workplace every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this half hour is Mike Burley. He's the president of Peak Capital Management, which is a a registered investment advisor that specializes in income-driven strategies. Welcome back to the show, Mike. Oh, thank you, Jordan. So let's talk about some other areas. Uh, in the stock area, you, you talked about preferreds. What are some other classes of stock that you like that offer some decent yields that you're investing in these days? Well, uh, you know, we like the preferreds, the investment grade. We also uh, look at exchange-traded debt. Uh, they operate a lot like a preferred stock. You know, they have a call date. Dividends are similar in that 5 to 7% range. Uh, it's kind of a hybrid vehicle. <laughs> Instead of buying the uh, stock of the company, we're, you know, of course, investing in the debt. And being exchange-traded, we can get in and out of it. 
What would be some examples of that? Just give me one or two examples. These are not ETFs. You're talking about debt of specific companies? Well, they're exchange-traded debt, so you could buy, get into utilities. You know, uh, there's, there's some oil and gas, there's some energy, uh, banks. So these are high-quality, high but yields of 5 to 7%, something like that. Uh, but they're all investment-grade. We stick with the investment-grade. Yes. Uh, one area that's been very popular these days is master limited partnerships. Do you like them? Uh, I'll buy the, uh, and I do like them. I prefer uh, to invest in the preferred stock of the MLP rather than the MLP it, itself. Just and why, why is that? Uh, I like having the, the uh, you know, the five-year call on the MLP. So, now, Do you want it to mature at some point uh, as well, opposed to having you know, it be they, perpetual? They, they, these never, they, they kind of sort of go on forever, but, you know, we do have at least a little insurance that they may get called out. At least they're going to get their, their 25 a share back out of the preferred. We're able to buy them right now around par. So if they do get called, they're going to get their money back. Mm-hmm. And then how about in the foreign arena? There's a lot of companies around the world that have some pretty high yields. Uh, do you invest in uh, foreign high-quality companies? No, you know, we don't. We stick with U.S. companies. And, and why is that? Quite frankly, I just don't, you know, I, I prefer to use companies in the U.S. Uh, that follow the accounting practices in the United States. It's, uh, it's easier for us to do the research. Uh-huh. Okay. And then some other areas would be convertibles. Do you uh, invest in converts? No. On the preferred side, uh, I, don't, uh, I don't invest in convertibles. I see. I don't want the, uh, the preferred stock to uh, I just stay away from that. Uh-huh. Try to keep it simple for the client. If we can pull anywhere from a 5 to 7% dividend callable in three to five years and buy it at par value today, you know, that, considering where interest rates are, that's pretty decent today without taking credit risk and staying with investment-grade companies. Are there other kinds of income-oriented ETFs uh, that you like these days? REITs out there that we like. We'll buy the preferred stock of the REIT. Same type of thing. The underlying's a REIT. Uh, Try to look at what's out there, you know, maybe REITs that own hospitals, uh, nursing homes. Uh, you know, we, we try to do our research on that. I, I stay away from some of these shopping centers that, you, you know, you can pull into down here and, and they're half empty. So, you know, you got to do your homework on those. But I do like some of the, uh, the real estate, the REITs. So you tend to do the preferreds on the REITs as opposed to the REITs Correct. directly. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's, let's now skip to the bond side. So we've been talking more on the equity side. Right. Um, so are you, you're doing uh, high-quality corporate debt, and then Correct. are you doing uh, municipal bonds? What are you doing in the muni market? Uh, if the need arises, you know, we look at the, the munis. Uh, don't do a whole lot there. We find that our clients' income uh, does not justify the municipal market when, when you do the math and look at the taxable equivalent yield there. It's just what, not there. What, for what level of income do you need or what tax bracket do you need to be in to have munis make sense where they're trading today? Probably 28% bracket. So you've got to be pretty high bracket for yes, munis to make I, sense. Yes, I believe so. It just doesn't make sense because the yield on the munis, if you're buying really solid investment-grade munis, there's just not a whole lot of yield there today. Are you concerned about credit quality in munis? I mean, we had the Detroit yes. bankruptcy and 
Distress with uh, Illinois and other places. Are, are you concerned about credit quality in the muni space? Absolutely. Something you have to watch very closely. They're not, uh, you know, munis aren't like they used to be 20 years ago. You know, you have to look at what you're buying today. Puerto Rico, we stay away from, uh, you know, obviously certain areas in, in Illinois and California you don't want to touch. Uh, so you have to be careful there in that. So that will part. there may be more bankruptcies in the municipal market, do you think? Uh, you know, I think we, we're probably going to see some more. Yeah, I don't think it's over. Uh, I, my feeling is, you know, the, the, the economy right now, it's kind of a mixed bag. You know, we've got some areas that look pretty good and, and others don't. You know, you look at unemployment, it's down. But then you look at the labor participation rate, it's 62 63%. It's the worst in 35 years. You know, the QE taper... Generally, that's, you know, every time the Fed came out with QE, the market would go up. Every time they shut it down, the market would go down. I don't know how, what effect that's going to have. We got the bond market high. We got the stock market high. Uh, a lot of small investors back in. IPOs are increasing. It's just a, to us, when we look at it, it's just a real mixed bag. Geopolitical risk out there now. You know, I so think wh- at some why, point. Why are interest rates so low when you have quantitative easing about to be phased out? And are, are, are strengthening economy. Yeah, it's it's you know the 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 bond market has had a, t- a tailwind for about thirty years, and that tailwind might just start to turn into a headwind. It's a very unusual times, and I don't really have the answer to that. So, wh- it's what very is the tailwind that might turn into a headwind? I'm not sure what you're referring stock to. Market. I'm sorry. Well, I'm not sure what you're referring to. What is the tailwind? That may turn into a headwind. Well, the bond market's done pretty good over the past 30 years. You know, interest rates have been coming down, which pushes bond values up. Is there a reason for that, you're saying, that's about to change from a tailwind into a headwind? Well, the reason it would change into a headwind would be when interest rates start to come back up. Now, I don't think they're going to spike up quickly. I don't see the Fed doing that. But I think we will see it at some point. They're not going to stay at zero forever. Are there demographic factors that affect interest rates? I mean, some people say that as we have more and more people joining the the, uh, retired generation, the baby boomers, they're going to be spending more and saving less. They're not going to be producing income. And therefore, uh, they're going to be uh, taking money out of these funds as opposed to adding to them. They're not in their uh, kind of uh, where they're adding to investments at this point. And that would therefore put downward pressure on interest rates to some extent. Does that make sense to you? Well, I believe, you know, depending on how much exposure they have to the market, uh, you know, this is the largest demographic in history coming into retirement over the next 10, 20 years. You know, the oldest baby boomers, believe it or not, turning 70 in two years. Uh, As this group comes into retirement, uh, I don't see them actually spending more money. I I don't see them buying bigger homes, more cars, more boats. I see them doing the opposite of what the Fed was doing, kind of throttling back on their spending. Because for for a lot of our investors, you know, this is a new world for them. You know, they've had working income their whole life. Now they're stepping into retirement. They have to live off their investments. So it's that transition that's, you know, difficult for a lot of them. So what is the economic impact of that demographic change where you're going to have people retired not having working income and living off of their uh, investments? I believe the e- economic impact 
at least over the next 10, 15 years, is they're going to be taking money and withdrawals out of the market to live on, either through interest or dividends. So does that make interest rates go up or down? I think at some point we're going to see interest rates going back up. I can't predict when, but I think at some point we're going to see them going back up. Mm. That's and, one and side so of the you're argument. Thinking the people flip are not, side is you look, well at, you, look at that, country, really. you look at a country like Japan, you know, they went through the kind of the same thing we did, you know, back in 08, 09, our market crashed. Uh, their market crashed, the real estate market crashed, their government took interest rates to zero, pretty much where they still are today. So they've, they've had the demographic change you're talking about coming here. has already happened in Japan. We have a lot of older people living off of their savings. Right. Their interest rates have fallen because of right. that. Maybe not because of it, but that's what's happened. But you're saying here that when that happens, interest rates are going to rise? I think there's a potential at some point rates are going to come back up. I just don't see them staying at zero forever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How about the, on the federal side? We have the federal deficit up to almost $18 trillion now. Um, is that going to slow down, and, and, uh, or is that going to accelerate, and how would that affect interest rates? Well, that's a great question. <laughs> Who knows what they're going to do? Uh, they don't seem to be too concerned about it, do they? No. In fact, if interest rates went up, that would be a huge cost to the federal government. So they have a real interest in keeping cost. interest rates that's, down. Absolutely. I, that's why I don't see them going up very quickly. I think Yellen's going to be very careful, and when they do start to go up, it's going to be a very slow movement up, because the bottom line is that we couldn't service our debt. Yeah. I agree with you. So uh, we have about two minutes to go. Why don't you just kind of summarize people in the age group of your uh, clientele, kind of pre-retirees with a half a million dollars or so, what are some of the things they should be doing now to prepare for many years living off of their their uh, investment income as opposed to having salaries? Well, you know, you, you don't want to find up, out how much of a risk taker you're not. So I, I think you need to get with your advisor, take a good look at what your, your risk profile is in your retirement accounts. You know, you can, uh, what we call, kind of back test this and, and what would you look like if we had a 20, 25% market correction in the next few years? And, and could you live with that? And if not, you need to make the correct asset allocations so you're comfortable. At this stage, if somebody's that close to retirement, you can't afford to go through a 2000 to 2003 or another 07 to 09 where the market's dropped by 50% if you're fully invested. You can't recover from that if you're walking into retirement and need income. A, a so, lot of people seem to have been affected by that psychologically and, and don't want to take those kind of risks. Absolutely. And, you know, I would agree with them. You know, it's, it's, it seems like it's kind of like as human beings, we have a tendency to want to compete and Sometimes that transfers to our investing. You know, we always want to focus on winning on an annual basis and making more and more returns and bigger and bigger bets. But, you know, you could be buying the right things at the wrong time, and it can sink you. Indeed. Brilliant. Just tell people about uh, the website where they can find out more about you, Mike. Yeah, you can go to our website, pcapitalmanagement.net. Pull us up. We've got a resource library there. I've got videos on there, uh, educational videos white papers, quite a bit of information. I've got a tax center, uh, very uh, educational pieces there that will really help you kind of get an understanding of some of these issues if you're not familiar with them. Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this half hour has been Michael Burley. He's the president of Peak Capital Management, and you can, again, find out more at peakcapitalmanagement.net. 
He's helped a lot of people uh, get income in retirement and plan for that in their pre-retirement years. So thanks so much for being a guest on The Money Answer Show, Mike. Okay, thanks for having me, Jordan. Thank you, and we'll be back after this break uh, with our next guest. 